who Bill Gates is. He's the, uh, apparently the richest man in the world. Uh, apparently, last, last count, worth 80 billion, somewhere in that neighborhood, 80 billion dollars. that blow your mind? 80 billion dollars. He has two kids who like to be his kids. On Christmas. <laughs> I mean, we can relate to, uh, to earthly wealth, can't we? We can relate to earthly privileges, can't we? To having parents who are fabulously wealthy and we have every, every resource available to us, every privilege available to us. But we have an incredibly, infinitely, fabulously more wealthy father. the creator of the heavens and the earth. Mind-blowing. And even the the most peripheral of us in the family of God has a father who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns the earth and all it contains, All the gold and silver. And yet there are many children of God who have not yet begun to experience, appropriate, and experience the tremendous spiritual privileges of being a child of God. And we're... We're in a, a, a mini-series in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're, we're talking about spiritual privileges. What privileges accrue to us as a result of, as Peter says in verse 4, now that you have what? No, verse 4. As you have what? Come to him. As you have come to Him. See, as we've come to Him, as we've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's that relationship. And remember, coming into relationship implies also, if you remember from two weeks ago, uh, one other dynamic. It's very, very critical. It's remaining in that relationship, right? Jesus says, if you remain in me. If you remain in my word, you will, what, bear much fruit. So the idea is I've come into relationship with God. An interpersonal relationship, a very real relationship, where not only do I know about God, I know God. I know Christ. And as I remain in that relationship, see, right now, Bill Gates' two kids are too young to even comprehend what what they have available to them. They're, I think, one and two years old. And there are far, far too many Christians, born-again people, who are spiritual infants. 
because they have not pressed into that relationship. And they're not realizing the tremendous privileges available to them because of that relationship with God in Christ. I think there are far too many who, who, if the truth be known, ponder and wonder and think, why, why, why am I not experiencing all these things? I believe. And again, I think it's always a function of relationship. That book we call the Bible is a book about relationships, isn't it? It tells us all about relationship with God, relationship with each other. It's a function of relationship. It's a function of entering into that relationship and remaining in that relationship. If you're to benefit in a relationship with another person, if you're to grow in that relationship, if you're to flourish in that relationship, if there's to be mutual flourishing, then that relationship has to, what, continue, doesn't it? There has to be some risking there. There has to be investing there. Would you agree? And out of those dynamics, the relationship begins to flourish, and then your life begins to flourish, doesn't it? Simple principle. And so as we look tonight, we're going to look at the, at the first of these tremendous spiritual privileges that accrue to us because of this relationship. And experiencing these things and experiencing the fruit of this comes as a function of remaining in that relationship. So look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. I want us to read the, the passage again just by way of refreshing our minds. And then we'll focus on the verse at hand. Look at verse 4. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Isn't that a, I love that quote. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone now that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that a rich passage? So our first look, the first look now that we are going to take at our spiritual privileges begins with this very first privilege, and we find this in verse 5. Uh, it's union with our Lord, union with Christ. We are united with Him. If you look at verse 5, he says, You also like living stones. 
It's one thing to come to a living stone. It's another thing to become a living stone. Now, what do we say about stones? Are stones typically, do we typically think of stones as being alive? No, we, we, we use a, a, a phrase, stone dead. Stones aren't living. And yet Christ is described here as what? A living stone. He's alive from the dead, right? And so now we, Peter describes us as also living stones. What's something that's characteristic of a stone? Solid, stable, durable, substantial. Would those terms describe Jesus? They describe us. You want a durable life, a stable life, a solid life, a substantial life. Be a living stone. Be a Christian. This is God's purpose, his plan for us. He said, didn't Jesus say, I came that you should have life and have it what, to the full? Have abundant life, a full life, eternal life. Doesn't that speak of substantial life? A life like a solid as a rock. A stone, a living stone. We are alive. We have life. We have his life. So Peter is saying to us, in effect, when you come to Christ, you become like Christ. He's a living stone. You now are a what? Living stone. Do you ever think what it means to be called a Christian? Do you ever think what it means to be called a Christian? It means basically what? Christ bearer, huh? One who bears Christ. One who is becoming like Christ. Does that not sum up what we are? Do we not bear Christ in our life? Do we not, is he not conforming us? Are we not becoming more and more like him? What a privilege. Think about that. You also, you also, he says, as Christ is a living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into something. What are we being built into? into a spiritual house. So a living stone has eternal life. A living stone has the very life of Christ. His life exists in us. We have the life of Christ in us, beloved. Think of what that means. You have the life of Christ in you. This is not just theoretical. This is not just some metaphysical concept. The reality is we have union with Christ. We have the life of Christ in us. It isn't that we just worship him, though we do. It isn't that we just obey him, though we do. It isn't that we just honor him. It isn't that we just pray to him, though we do. Beloved, it is that we are united with him. We are united with him. He is the cornerstone, we're told, and we are the stones. He is the living stone, and we too, we also are living stones. We are 
being built into a spiritual house, he tells us. The house of God is not the building. A temporal building. The house of God is what? It's the people of God. It's the people of God. What a tremendous privilege. What a tremendous privilege to have God dwell in me, to have God dwell in us collectively. The God who created the heavens and the earth deigns to dwell in me, deigns to give me his life. That's almost too much. Try to get your mind around that. It's not something that when you begin to think about it that you can just treat lightly. It, the more you think on it, the more you meditate on it, the more you try to grasp the import of that, the more it just blows you away. God lives in me. Oh, my. We possess the life of Christ. It flows from him through us. The life of Christ. That's why Peter can say, look at this verse in 2 Peter chapter 1. I love this verse, and we'll get there probably next year sometime, or maybe the year after. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Now I want you to notice something. Through our what? Knowledge of Him. That's not just our intellectual understanding of Him. Our knowledge of Him. Whenever the Bible talks about knowledge, it's talking in terms of relationship. It's talking about that which is interpersonal. I have intimate knowledge of my wife. She has intimate knowledge of me. We continue to grow in that knowledge of each other. And as we do, we are mutually blessed. And so as I grow and and remain in this relationship with him, then I'm told that I have everything I need for life and godliness. His resources, his blessings, his favor, the privileges. There are no limits. Isn't that glorious? That's when you begin to understand and to realize what it means to have life and have it to the full. Doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfect. It does mean that even though things may be crashing down around you, you are absolutely confident at peace. You have strength and power to function and nobody can stop you. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His own power, his own goodness. Who he is, he called us. Verse 4, he says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, now notice, we may participate in what? In the divine nature. We may participate in the divine nature. We have union with Christ. What a privilege. God has given me the privilege to participate in his divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean that I am a God. It doesn't mean that I am God. It means that his life is in me now. Where there was darkness, there's light. Where there was no hope, there's hope. 
Where there was no power, there's power. Where there was no love, there's love. Why? Because it all comes from him. It's his, it's his life. Guy talked to you a little bit about this last week, didn't he? Not in these terms necessarily, but the same, the same truth, the same principle. God at work in you. God at work in you. What a privilege. Absolutely. Now remember, Christianity is the only religion that I know of in the whole entire world where the life of the one we worship becomes our life. There's no other religion where that's the truth. You never hear of anybody saying, in Buddha. You never hear somebody say, in Krishna. Or in Confucius. Or in Muhammad. Or in L. Ron Hubbard. Or in... You never hear that. You will never, ever hear anyone teach that the life of that individual is the eternal life which is possessed by those who worship that individual. Only in Christ. Only in Christ. In Christ, we have his life. In Christ, we are participants in the divine nature. In Christ in that inseparable, intimate, personal relationship we have with Him in Christ. I am in Christ. I'm united to Christ. I am bound to Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, we are participants in the divine. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. I want you to see this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, he says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your what? When Christ who is your life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Ooh, my. We could spend weeks on that verse. Wouldn't you love to do that? You do it right now. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified. This is the memory verse for next week. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Remember, it's, it's not about me anymore. Who's it about? It's all about Him. Not about me, it's about Him. So I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, we share his life. We, we, we are participants in the divine nature. He lives in me. You say, well, I don't feel him. <laughs> What's it supposed to feel like? A man said to me a couple months ago, he said, you know, he says, I, I believe. He said, but I, I just don't feel it. And I, he said, I, I, I don't have that joy. I said, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith. I believe. I believe He loved me. I believe He lives in me. This is not psychobabble. This is not positive mental attitude stuff. This is, I'm rehearsing the truth. I'm telling myself the truth. I'm going, He lives in me. Ooh. You meditate on that verse all week. 
I promise you, it'll mark you in a powerful and significant way. He lives in me. I was crucified with him. This is tremendous spiritual privilege. Tremendous. It isn't just that we worship Christ, as I said earlier. It isn't just as we bow the knee to Christ. It isn't just that, we, that Christ is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our, our God. It's that we are in Him sharing His life. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sharing His life. Are you? Peter says, like living stones, we are being built into what? A spiritual house. God is building a spiritual house. You say, why is he doing that? You'll have to ask him when you get there. (laughs) He's building a spiritual house. He started initially building that house by laying what? The cornerstone. And who is the cornerstone? That's right. Remember, the cornerstone sets all the angles. Make sure the house is going to be straight. Every other stone that's added now must what? Must fit, match that cornerstone. And all of us are being added. All of us are being built into that spiritual house. My, my. God is its builder. And he is putting all of us into place, integrating us with one another. One stone upon another, one stone next to another. Every stone essential, every stone required for the building, every stone selected for a specific place in that building. Isn't that exciting? What a privilege. Think about that. All in marvelous union with Jesus. We are all oriented to Him. Just like every every stone in an ancient building would be oriented toward that cornerstone, every spiritual stone is oriented toward that spiritual cornerstone. He has a place for each one of us. He's the builder. Ephesians chapter 2 uh, verses 19 and through 22. I want, you, I want to read these to you. Paul says the same thing. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Isn't that nice? I'm no longer a foreigner or an alien, but I'm a fellow citizen with God's people and members of God's household, part of his family. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Paul rehearses the same truth that Peter's teaching us. Verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Wow. 
Spirit of the living God lives in his people. Individually and as well collectively. What that passage says basically is this. Christ is the cornerstone. He's that foundation stone. And then completing the foundation, the rest of the foundation is the prophets and the apostles. The prophets and all their prophecies. The apostles and their doctrine. That's why the early church, the, new century, the first century church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, talks about the, those early Christians being devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the doctrine. And then thirdly, we as believers rise up to be built on this foundation. The foundation's already been laid. Christ the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets complete that foundation, and then you and I now are, are part of the superstructure. We're built up on that foundation as the very spiritual house in which God dwells. God makes his abode with men. God is not afar off. He's not disinterested. He's not some, some deity who doesn't care. He abides. He lives with us. And when you're in the midst of trial and struggle, and you're saying, God, where are you? You don't even have to ask that question. <laughs> because he's with you. He is in you. You say, God, thank you for being here with me. Thank you that you've never left me or forsaken me. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you abide with me and you abide with your people. See, that's, that's the truth. That's fact. And when you believe the fact, then you start feeling better. See, we don't want the feelings first before we believe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says that we are God's building. We are God's building. Beloved, every time someone comes to Christ, a new living stone is placed perfectly into the building that God is building. A new stone is added. Isn't that glorious? Now you have to understand for Peter, this is... This is this is reminiscent. He's drawing on the, on the, on the, on the picture in his mind of the, of the temporal temple in Jerusalem, isn't he? The physical, material house of God, if you will. All the Jewish culture and tradition. He's drawing on that. But he tells us, he tells us that in the new covenant, in effect, there is not a, a physical house in which God dwells. It's a spiritual house. It's the hearts of men who trust Him. Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, for God does not live in a house made by men. Isn't that glorious? You can't make a house good enough for God. He makes His own house. Paul says much the same thing in Acts chapter 17. Luke records him as saying, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Obviously, it's talking about men's hands. He lives in his temple that he's building. Isn't that glorious? He lives in a spiritual house, and we're the stones that make up that spiritual house. He's still constructing it. Isn't that glorious? He's still, he's still adding stones. 
Paul writes to Timothy and says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the church is God's household. Same idea. Beloved, very simply, God lives in his redeemed people. God lives in his redeemed people. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. If we persevere. If we persevere. Remember the whole theme of Hebrews, among other things, was persevere in the faith. Stand firm. People are being terribly threatened. Even these people that Peter's writing to are undergoing certain persecution. These words are written to encourage them. You're God's house. He's building his house. You're living stones being added. Stay in there. <laughs> Christ, the living stone. The living stone. The cornerstone. The foundation finished off by the prophets, by the apostles. In perfect symmetry, God builds the house, laying one stone upon another. And Jesus said, how strong is his house? How strong is his house? In Matthew's gospel, he says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. How strong is the house of God? You see why it's important that Christians be united. The Christians preserve the unity of the fellowship and the faith. He's building a house, a spiritual house. And so, beloved, we have union with Christ, the living stone. We are living stones, united to Him. Living people, united to the living Christ, bound to Him. We are in Christ. When you became a Christian, your first great privilege when you became a Christian was union with Him. That's where it all starts. You came to Him, you entered into a relationship with Him. How? You share His life. And what does that mean? It means very simply that He lives in you and He lives in us. He lives in you individually, He lives in us collectively. And what, what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? Well, among other things, it means, beloved, spiritual power. Who needs power in their life? Who needs strength in their life? Who needs a little dynamite in their life? This is what it means. If his life, is he powerful? Is his life powerful? So if his life is in us, then it must mean then that we have access to power. Real power. What does the Bible have to say about that? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to what? His power that is what? At work within us. Woo! More than you can even imagine. Power to do more than you can think, hope, imagine. That kind of power is resonant in you. You say, how do I get to that power? How do I get to that power? Where's the switch? <laughs> it's a function of relationship. It's a function of that intimacy and that relationship. Pressing on, pressing in, believing, trusting. It's not just mechanistic. It's not just functional. 
It's not just you get on your knees, you pray a little, real quick prayer, and boom, you expect it. It's a function of relationship. Now that you've come to him, remain in that relationship. Begin to experience the fullness of Christ in your life. And with that, his power. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Guy told you about these last week. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why with fear and trembling? Why does he say fear and trembling? He says, because what? Because it's what? Who's at work? God. Work out your salvation. What does that mean? It means, very simply, to live out this relationship with him. Because it's in the context of that relationship that we're saved. Isn't that true? He's just saying, he's not saying working for your salvation. He's not saying earning heavenly brownie points. He's not saying anything. He's talking about the issue of living and remaining and abiding in that relationship with him. And understand that as you do, that there is a sense of awe that overcomes your life. God is at work in you. His power. His power. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do most things in my own strength. I can do few things. I can do nothing in my own strength. I can do everything through him who what? Gives me strength. It means power. He strengthens my life. I can do the things that he's called me to do. I can live out his will. I have power available to live out his commands and to live my life for his glory, to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love you, my neighbor. That's what he tells me. He said, well, how come I don't feel that? Are you in and out of the relationship? How devoted are you to the relationship? This is not a works thing. This is a devote. This is relationship, relationship, relationship. It's a function of being that relationship. You want to have power to overcome sin in your life? You want to have power to overcome grief and sadness and your past and all the stuff that plagues us? Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Come to know Jesus and love him. Come into relationship with him. Press into that relationship. Don't we draw, in a temporal sense, don't we draw strength from one another in our temporal relationships? We lean on each other. We say, help me. I'm weak right now. People come in our life and they encourage us and they can imbue us with a certain measure of strength. How much more then can the living God who lives in me as I lean on him and draw from him, can he strengthen me? Isn't that glorious? Love of the Christian life is the most exciting, most powerful life, most fulfilling life anybody could ever hope to live. We are living stones. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Who's accomplished through me? Christ, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. You see, that's God's power in Him. You want to see people come to Christ? 
function of relationship. Your relationship with Christ. As you step out in faith, you see God's power manifested. You'll be able to lead people to Christ. Well, I'm, 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 I'm so afraid. Why are you afraid? Well, I just, I'm just afraid. You have no power. Why you have no power? Because you're not in that relationship with him. You're not in that relationship with him. Didn't we say several weeks ago, the word of God is powerful and it does its work in you? How do you stay in relationship with him? Stay in his word. Believe. Trust. We can do that. You'll have power to see others come to Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now notice what he says in the next verse. And to this end I labor. Now notice, notice the word he uses. I labor struggling with all his, what? Energy. Which so powerfully works in me. Does there seem to be a contradiction there? Struggling with all his energy? Which so powerfully works in me? It isn't just a snap. You don't just flip a switch. You're not just a casual Christian. Paul gives us insight into his ministry. He struggled. But he was dependent on what? On the power of God working in him to bring about the results that God desired through his life. All of his service, all of his ministry was what? Powered by God living in him. It's all a function of relationship. Now that you've come to him, right? Right, Victor? We know that, don't we? Now that you've come to him, you know in his power in your life, aren't you? It's a transforming power, isn't it? My. What a privilege! To be united with Christ and have all this? And we've only begun to scratch the surface. Christ lives in you. Christ lives through you. Christ loves through you. It's not your love, it's His love. When you fall in love with Him, His love fills you up, and all of a sudden now you're loving people with His love, and you're going, how can I possibly do this? I, I've never, this is incredible. Now that you've come to Him. He speaks through you. There'll be opportunities, occasions for you to share and minister to somebody, and all of a sudden, stuff's going to come out of your mouth, and you're going to go, where did those words come from? You're going to be utterly, you're going to walk away just going, oh my, oh my, oh my. <laughs> he ministers through you. His life in you is eternal. Let me say that again. His life in you is eternal. So you'll never lose it. Isn't that glorious? His life in you is eternal. His life in you controls you. Sometimes I feel so out of control. You may feel out of control, but you're not out of His control. 
It's his life in you that controls you. It's his life in you that controls you. It's his life in you that conforms you, that transforms you, that changes you. You don't change yourself. You know, we live in this therapeutic age and everyone's in the self-help and, and, and therapy and everyone's doing themselves and taking care of their issues. You can't handle your issues. And you weren't designed to be so introspective to look into yourself and try to figure everything out. The more you look into yourself, the more depressed you get. It's His life in you that changes you. It's His life in you, and it's a function of what? Relationship with Him. That's all He's telling us. He conforms you. He transforms you. His life in you provides, beloved, availability for every need in every situation. His life in you provides availability for every need in every situation. I'm going to take you back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and let's read them again. See if he doesn't say this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, speaks of relationship, who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. that sound like a changed life? That sounded like having, having every resource I could possibly need in my life met. Yep. What a privilege. Union with Christ. What an incredible, incredible privilege to be united with Christ, the source of life, the living stone, the cornerstone rejected by men, that he chose me. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Beloved, we can say again with Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, what? I've been crucified with him. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who else gave themselves for you? Who else loved you like that? Who else wants to live in you and transform you and empower you? There's only one person. Jesus Christ. And we are, beloved, would you agree, most unworthy vessels for Him to inhabit. But that is what Jesus Christ gives to those. To those who come to Him as a living stone. His life. His life becomes our life and we are built upon Him into that spiritual house which is the place where God dwells by His Spirit. What a tremendous privilege. May I suggest how mundane any other kind of life could possibly be. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the awesome privilege of being in your family, 
of you willing and, and just desiring to live in us. Father, as we prepare to come to the communion table, I pray that we would all just have a, a much deeper appreciation for what you have done for us. Lord, just speak to our hearts. Strengthen us. Heal us. Renew us, O oh God. And renew us particularly, Lord, in our relationship with you right now. The communion servers are going to distribute communion to us. And if you are with us for the first time and a Christian, we invite you to take communion. The protocol is very simple. The trays will come down through the rows. The little tray of matzah will come first. Take a piece, pass the tray on. The juice will come second. Take a cup, hold on to it. We want to wait till everybody is served. And then when the whole congregation is served, I'll come back. We'll take communion together. Use the intervening time to reflect on some of these things we've talked about in your own relationship with God through Christ. What does it mean for you to be in Christ? How is your relationship with Him? If there's some sin in your life, you know, just confess it. Repent of it. You may say, you know, I, I'm not aware of any real sin. Pray David's prayer. Search my heart, O God, and show me if there's any sin in me. God will show you. But he doesn't show you to condemn you. He shows you so that you can acknowledge it. He's already paid the price for that sin. But that sin's stopping you, stopping your growth. That sin is hindering your relationship with him. He wants all of you. <laughs> and we should want all of him. So take these next moments. Reflect on your relationship with him. Draw near to him. Let him have his way. And I'll come back and we'll take communion together.